Hello and welcome to The Domain of Women, a podcast highlighting the stories and ideas of women in social sciences. I'm Olivia Maynard, and today I will be taking you inside the fields of linguistic anthropology with linguistic anthropologist Dr. Sanja Narainen. Dr. Narainen is currently teaching at the University of Nevada, Reno, and conducts her research in southern Peru. We had such a great conversation, and I can't wait to share it with you. So let's just jump right into it. So hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Sandhya Kritika Narayanan. I am um, I'm an assistant professor of anthropology at the University of Nevada, Reno. Um, and I'm a linguistic anthropologist by training, which means I look at the relationship between language and society. So what is the relationship between language and culture? How has our history um, and, and changes in our society interfaced with language in different ways? What is it that we can learn about language to help us think differently about our human social history? And also what is it, what is, um, what is it about language that's uniquely human and not in like the psychological sense, but in the sense that um, it has shaped how we think of ourselves as human, right? Even before we've had psychological models or cognitive models, uh, we as humans have been thinking about language in very different ways. So how has those thoughts um, shaped the history of our humanity and shaped the way that we, we think and look at each other? Um, so within that broad field, uh, I work on I work on a few different things, but I work broadly on issues around like multilingualism, um, and especially around the maintenance of uh, linguistic complexity and linguistic diversity broadly. Um, but within multilingualism, especially um, the management of um, multiple languages, um, especially in relation to histories of colonialism. Um, minority language maintenance, and also language revitalization and reclamation. I'm so curious about what brought people to doing what they love to do. Linguistic anthropology is somewhat of a niche area of interest, and I was glad that I had the opportunity to ask Dr. Narayanan about what got her interested in the field and just why she's interested in language in general. So um, I think for me, a lot of what I do is very personal. Um, you know, I grew up in a very multilingual home and I grew up also in a very multilingual city. I was born in Toronto. I spent a good chunk of my childhood and early uh, young adult teen years there. And of course, and then I lived in Boston, which is also in its own way, multilingual, but different. Um, but I, I grew up knowing that people spoke different languages, but I also grew up knowing that that was not always welcome in our society. Uh, to a large degree, I would say that is still the case. Uh, and I have experienced much of that kind of unwelcome and discrimination during various parts of my life as well. Um, so when I learned that there was a field called linguistics, I was like, okay, this sounds interesting. I'm interested in language, let me figure it out. Um, but ultimately I think linguistic anthropology attracted me because there was a lot of things that people were studying that for me felt very, um, very close to home, very close to my experiences growing up. Um, you know, as an immigrant, as a woman of color. And, you know, I, I came of age, especially like post 9-11 years. So a lot of that xenophobia and how that came was packaged along with language difference um, were, were things that, you know, I, I, I had a lot of experience. I was very present in my mind and was very, you know, prominent in my formative years of life. So to find a field that addressed that, 
not only address, but had people actively like researching these topics uh, for me, not only felt empowering, but it was also very interesting because these were, these were experiences that I felt, you know, very connected to, but it also gave me like a new vocabulary in a way to think about them more broadly. So I think that general interest um, in thinking about these, these issues more broadly, right? So even though I have a particular set of experiences, what I find interesting is how those experiences intersect with a lot of my own research, which is not on my own community necessarily, though I hope to one day. Um, but, you know, I did field work on indigenous language multilingualism and maintenance in Peru and a little bit of Bolivia and, and the conversations I would have there, you know, they, they, they felt different. And I think they took place differently because the people I was speaking with saw me as someone who was like, well, you know what it's like. It's like, well, kind of, but let's talk about it. Um, and same where I work on reclamation. Um, you know, with the Massachusetts tribe in the Northeast in, in the state of Massachusetts, um, you know, conversations with them about re language reclamation and, and maintenance and, and having a language and what that means for that community and for those experiences are things that are different, but are like they're both similar and also incredibly, uh, but also like very specific and different. Um, so the ability to sort of see and compare across all those situations is something that I was really attracted to. I hope it's obvious by now that we need people of all different backgrounds in social science fields. It is so important that we have a variety of perspectives and ideas so that the narratives that are being portrayed in our world are true to the people that make up our world. I asked Dr. Sanjay Narayanan about the question of why is it so important for women to study linguistic anthropology and just language in general. Here's what she had to say. I mean, I think we need more people's doing this type of work anyways to begin with, not just women, not just necessarily women per se. Um, but I think, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know if it's necessarily just women, but I do think there is, I will say within linguistic anthropology, what is really fascinating is a lot of the major theoretical strides that has been made in our field have been made by female scholars. And some of the most successful ones in our field, uh, many of whom train me, have been women. So it, it, what is interesting about this field is that even though there is, I mean, you know, in any field, you're gonna get like the hallowed men who are there. But what's really interesting about linguistic anthropology is that um, especially since the, you know, the, the field has had like various like reinventions, but especially since one of the major ones, um, female scholars have been at the forefront and, and they've produced some, uh, in my opinion, some of the really lasting works, both theoretically, ethically, um, and even socially, like in terms of social consciousness as well and what they give back to the communities. A lot of that work has been done and led by women. And I don't think it's a coincidence, right? Because these are women who themselves came up, you know, at a time when there weren't any women, period, across, forget about linguistics, just like a lot in a lot of places. Um, so the, for the fact that, you know, not only did they find themselves a home in linguistic anthropology as anthropologists, right? But then also they've made some of the biggest contributions to our field, I think is both amazing. I think it speaks to the times that they came up in, 
um, but it also speaks to how they were part of these conversations about, you know, you know, a feminist or even just forget about feminists, just like an alternative view of how you do research and what that can offer and what sort of view of the world that can provide, um, whether it be through language or through society or through whatever. So, yeah, I, I, I so I think, um, you, you know, I, I think like having, I mean, of course, like women in the field, having more is great, but I think it's also, I mean, it's always important, right? I think we should have more people doing linguistic anthropology in general, not just necessarily women, but from various backgrounds as well. Um, but I, what I always think about, I think in relation to that question is more like, actually what's interesting is how much our field has been shaped by, by female scholars and female thinkers. I absolutely love how she brought up the importance of female scholars and thinkers because the contributions of women are often diminished or just plain ignored. It often seems like women are expected to fit into a box of someone else's design, which I think can be applied to a lot of different aspects of life. I asked her about if she's felt pressure or had people expect her to study specific things based on her identity. I loved her response to this question, so take a listen. I would say, I think, I think it goes to like multiple levels, right? Um, you know, I, I think for me personally, a lot of the work that I do in general is, um, especially, you know, within my community and even amongst most of my family, they, I mean, they don't really understand it. Um, and I think this is like a kind of, uh, you know, area of interest and pursuit that like, I think partially because I'm a woman, because of my identity, because of, you know, the places that I come from, it is very odd. Um, but then there's like another level of it. And again, this is, gets back to something that I said at the beginning about what a linguistic anthropologist is, which is, um, you know, we as humans have always thought about language, even if we haven't like with even before like the scientific terms for it, or even if we didn't have a name for it, we've had thoughts and ideas about how we sound in relation to others, right? So then um, there are there are sort of other things um, that I have experienced, you know, from my family, which actually is reflective of that. It's like, well, if you're studying language, you should study like these things. Like, why don't you look at, which are very like, uh, you know, they, they sort of like show insight about like, um, you know, ideas again that they have about the languages that we speak and then therefore you should be studying that, which I find more fascinating uh, than anything else. It's like, no, I'm not going to, but it's funny you say that, which is why one day I will write that book about that. Um, but I think in general, it's not really like what I study. I think it's just more the overall freedom to pursue this line of work. And I think it's very, you know, I, uh, I, I personally feel like, and I, I, I don't know if everyone feels like this, but for me, I personally feel like there is still a lot of, to a certain degree, taboo around a kind of, you know, your independence around doing certain things. And uh, very like, I'm very fortunate and privileged that for the most part, I am my own boss. I, I dictate what I want to study as long as I can get funding to do it and some sort of outside support to do it. I will go there and do it. But a lot of my work is, is self-directed. And I think 
it's it's slowly changing, but it's not changing fast enough. You know, I think outside of the few spaces where my work is recognized, not just mine, I think mine and like others and for other women as well. Um, the idea that you direct how you do your work and where it goes and why you're doing that and that you do it on your own as well is still, I think, very, um, it's still very odd and unsettling for a lot of people. And I've experienced that myself where a lot, a lot of individuals outside of my field just like don't quite understand where to place me. Um, yeah. I, so I, I have faced, I have, I think in terms of being a woman, I have faced that, that sort of lack of understanding of what it is that I do and how it is that I do it as a woman, right? Uh, I faced like other things about how, what I should study and how I should study. Those haven't really come from me being a woman <laughs> necessarily, especially the things around language, right? So again, a lot of, even like the most, you know, intelligent people have have very interesting in our society have very interesting ideas about what you know being a linguistic anthropologist should look like and it's like I don't do that uh, for various reasons but in terms of being a woman I would say just me doing this in and of itself uh, it is quite it, it is still odd yeah and it's still it's still something that's hard to understand by many I think you know where our role as a woman doing this work kind of fits in is different based on our background. So for me, I think like, I think personally for me outside of academia, me as a woman doing any kind of work like this is seen as, is still kind of questioned as why would you go about doing that in general? I'd like to welcome on my co-host, Shoshi Gioka, an educator and absolutely extraordinary human being, so we can talk through some of Dr. Narayanan's ideas about expectations of women in research settings. I mean, the field is so tiny and it's not really understood. Yeah. And having to justify and explain mm -hmm. while getting funding to do her work. Yeah. Um, and then being a woman of color on top of that. Yeah. It's amazing how you were able to connect with these women. I know. I'm so lucky. And and they're so, both of them are just so brutally honest with you. And, yeah. But that's the gift you have. Really. <laughs> you really do, you do create that kind of a space for others to just be able to open up. Thank um, you. You know, like I appreciate how she kind of reframed it by saying that it gives me a sense of freedom because yeah. I get to choose my own research. Yet, the burden is that unless she's funded, yeah. she can't, right? Exactly. Um, and that's another thing about the academia is it's so archaic. Yeah. Like, we study, we have this department, we have this field just because we've always had it, mm -hmm. right? So anything relatively new or just an offshoot of something like what she's studying. Um, yeah. Because it, it doesn't fit in the mold. Mm -hmm. um, I'm curious to know what her 24 hours look I know. like and feel like. That's yeah. going to be... Um, I just wonder what, how she balances herself. You know, Because I, I think as a woman, and especially women of color, mm -hmm. um, like having a life-work balance is just so important. And I just... I, 
I hope, I hope she knows she has a system where she is having that, finding yeah. that balance in her. I'm just curious how she finds those places, you know? I know. It's just, yeah. But it's so inspiring though, right? Yeah. Just you know, just really following your heart and um, and then really compromising. Yeah. And like she she chose something, mm -hmm. like she chose linguistic anthropology, which is already very like, small, but then she was like, I'm gonna go study language in Peru. Right. Which is right. like a complete like people would not expect that. Oh, you're gonna study this thing, which I mean we talked about expectations right. and like right, right. It's just she is so strong-willed mm -hmm. and I really mm -hmm. I, I loved love that I yeah. loved talking uh -huh. to her because she was just like my family's they don't really understand mm -hmm. it I did it anyways I just she's so I love it that she awesome. was just so sure of herself right and that's that's the kind of thing we need to do more of as as women collectively yeah not to apologize for what we believe and pursuing what we want and what makes our heart happy yeah I think we still tend to apologize collectively it's like oh I'm sorry but I'm gonna do this like apologize. Language is a massive part of our everyday lives, whether or not we are actively thinking about it. Communication in general is integral to all societies, and the job of a linguistic anthropologist is to study language, culture, and society in order to understand how they all fit together. I find the field so fascinating, and having the opportunity to talk with a linguistic anthropologist about language was extremely interesting. I mean, like, if you do anthropology, you come up against language, right? But then it's um, it's sort of like a thing. It, it's sort of like, where does it go in your field of study? Is it the main course or is it the side dish kind of thing? And uh, for us, like that is actually our front and center. Like we actually start with language and see what happens from there. My favorite question that I asked some of my guests was what change needs to occur in your field? This is a very open-ended question with lots of room for interpretation. And I love how Dr. Narayanan chose to answer it. Here's her response. We, we need to get people interested in linguistic anthropology earlier. So the fact that you're interested in or like know about it as a high school student, I find is like, this is great. <laughs> that is the one thing that's changed the field I would make is how can we, how can we reach out to, to, uh, to students, to individuals earlier on in their education? Um, and a lot of my work outside academia like tries to do this, you know, to really try and, and cause I think it's actually just so applicable to like everything. I think students as early as elementary school, primary school can learn some things and to think about language in these critical ways, I think it's immensely important. So I, I feel like, and, there, and there's a growing, like it, it's a growing sentiment. We're all working on it in different ways, but I think we, we really need to figure out how to, uh, you know, actively work on it a little bit more concretely, uh, especially since and in a way, and again, that's, that is, um, that is very critical, right? So it, not in a way that says, you know, this is what language is, and these, these are the languages. So it's like, no, one, you don't, you can always learn that later, right? But to be really critical about what language means as a human, as a person living in a particular space and time, what does that mean to you? Um, and I'm not the only one who like does, a bunch of us do, and we do it in different ways. 
Um, but that would be, I think, the biggest change in our field to really, to really get that exposure so that we have more interest. You know, people want to go into it in college. They might want to go into a career. But even if not, there's a way, not everyone has to do research in it, but there are lessons that are learned through this field that I think is important for our society, just as important as anything from like history, uh, literature, um, you know, even science and math, right? There, there are things, or even basic geography, right? There are lessons from this that are equally important um, that, needs, that needs its own exposure, I think, early on as much as a lot of other fields and topics that do get that exposure, right? I think, I think at high school students know more about what psychology is and maybe sociology, and that's great, right? But they should also know about what, for even, like even anthropology, like what linguistic anthropology is. And so, you know, I think I think finding ways to create a little bit more exposure early on and to do it in a seamless way, I would say is a big change that we need to make in our field. Just a little aside, I hope this podcast has been able to introduce you to a field or an area of study that you didn't know much about or didn't even know existed. I hope that by having this space for women in social sciences to talk about their passions, that more people of all sorts of backgrounds can be curious about possible avenues for exploration. Anyway, Ms. Sho and I are now going to discuss being curious and finding passion in learning. Because there's no model that's there for her to follow. Yeah. So she's creating the model to really expand her field. Yeah. So others are interested. And I love what she said about not everything has to be researched. Yeah. But I think we all, we always need to be curious. Yeah. Because that's what research is all about, right? Research is about asking a good question. And then you really try to find out. So how am I going to prove my answer to be right or wrong? Yeah. Um, and I feel like that's what we are missing in this kind of a factory model of learning in mm-hmm. high schools. It's like information in and out. It's like regurgitation. Yeah. It doesn't feed us with this sense of curiosity, like mm-hmm. what you were doing with this independent studies, right? Yeah. Because you were curious. You yes. had questions and you are wondering about and like, I want to know more. And I think that's what we need to do more of. And I think that's what she's talking about is that we just need to be more inquisitive and yeah. just really looking at things from a critical lens. Not critical as in harsh, yeah, but critical as in let's not take things as just this is just how it is. Yeah. Let's be more curious and dig deep, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some projects in school, like for just thinking of like IB history, we had our historical investigations mm-hmm. um, for IB. And, like, we got to pick whatever we wanted to study. And then we studied it. And we wrote a paper. And that was, like, just getting that taste of being, like, okay, I get to pick something I'm interested in. And I get to learn as much about that as I want. It's just so, like, freeing. It is. And it it's is. awesome. Yeah. Um, but you own it, right? Because it's more meaningful. So you don't mind spending time or doing more. Yeah. Because um, it's personal. It's personal, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I feel like having that, like, personal and, like, emotional connection to learning mm-hmm. is, like, going to make kids want to come to school and be more engaged because yes. Yes. 
having because like there are some class like some days I don't want to come to school and I'm like I am just so tired but then there's like those those classes that I'm like oh but if I don't go to school I don't get to go to that class and I love being in that class where I get to learn something I'm interested in and if we had a space for students to like create that for themselves I feel like that would be really valuable and it doesn't have to be every subject right yeah even if everybody had one that one class yeah that brings me to school mm-hmm. wouldn't that be nice oh my god that'd be so nice yes, yes. and in my discussion with her because she like I don't know exactly how we got on the topic but I mentioned that IB anthropology mm-hmm. is like a class and she she's familiar with the IB program but she like didn't know that it was a class and she's like mm-hmm. wait kids are learning about anthropology that is amazing like I am so excited because mm-hmm. I have a friend um who he discovered his love of anthropology from IB anthropology. Uh, so, and now he's going right. to be oh an anthropologist. God. So like just having as many opportunities right. yep. to explore mm-hmm. a bunch of different right. things. Because if you don't know, you don't know. Right? Exactly. You don't know what you don't know. Yeah. So if you don't know, then you'll never explore. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And just, I mean, there's definitely some classes that I've taken that I'm like, not my thing. Right. right. Okay. Right. Moving on. Right. But now and that's, you know. that's totally fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think, I mean, this also goes back to grading, but like less pressure on grades mm-hmm. means more freedom to explore. And learn, right? Yep. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Amen to that. <laughs> that is all for this episode. I hope you were able to learn more about the field of linguistic anthropology from a female perspective as well as gain insight into how essential language and the study of language is to our daily lives. I want to say a huge thank you to Dr. Sanjay Narayanan. She was so lovely to chat with, and I really admire her and her work. If you're interested in checking out her research, I've collected some links to her work, which you can find in the show notes below. You can find me on Twitter at Olivia N. Maynard for podcast updates and other upcoming projects. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope to see you back next time. Bye.